Amen and amen. Here in the power of Christ, we do stand. And when we are weak, He is strong. Praise God. We're going to look again this morning at uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. And I invite you to turn with me there. You'll find that on page 1001 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. Our son Wade um, used to travel so much for business that it got a bit crazy uh, in his life for a season. I mean, one day he would be in India, then a couple days later, Australia. A couple days later, he'd be in England. A couple days later, New England, and then back home in Birmingham, Alabama, maybe for a week, maybe two weeks, then back out again. And he traveled so much that that Delta awarded him what they call their 360-degree status. Now, it is not a badge of honor. Let me just make sure you understand that. It just means you fly an awful lot. And, and to tell you how rare it is to get one of these things and how much he was traveling, two people in the whole state of Alabama had one, and Wade was one of those two. Now, the perks that come with this kind of rarefied air are ridiculous. So here, for example, is one of the perks that I just wish one day in my life I would get. If Wade flies into one airport and needs to make a connecting flight, then Delta meets him on the tarmac in a Porsche and drives him to the connecting gate. (laughs) So he doesn't have to go through the airport. And I'm thinking, oh, I just want to grow up and be my children. What? <laughs> now, I say all of that to ask this question. Do you think, you know, if you've, if you've flown at the very beginning, the, the airline attendants go through these safety instructions, including teaching you how to fasten your seatbelt. Now, do you think Wade ever really pays attention to those things? Of course not. And I would imagine if I would ask most of you, if, if you've flown a fair amount, do you pay attention to those flight instructions? Well, probably not. But there's a reason that they speak to you. There's a reason that these attendants give all of these instructions at the beginning of the flight. They want to keep you alive. And sometimes, because they know you're not paying attention, they will create these uh, these dances or these songs or they'll do something very funny, all of which is for the purpose of getting your attention to keep you alive. Now, um, as we turn to the Word of God, what we're going to see is the writer to the letter of Hebrews tell us that we have got to pay attention to the message that we find in God's Word that is centered on Jesus Christ. Your life depends on it. And let me just say, I'm not going to sing or dance or do anything particularly funny this morning, but I am going to tell you the truth. Nothing is more important for you than paying attention to the message of Jesus Christ that we find in God's Word. Now, this is a long passage, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read the whole passage for context, but I'm just going to hit a few highlights in this as we go. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, 
And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. All of that to say, you can know that it is trustworthy, it is from the Lord, and so many have attested to the reality of God, Jesus Christ, and His Word. Verse 5, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while longer than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Uh, one day everyone will know that they are truly subject to Jesus Christ. And that is true for those who bow the knee to him now and submit their lives to him. It is also for those who choose not to do so in this life. One day they will bow the knee, submit to Christ, even though they will not be part of Christ and part of his family. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of, your, of the congregation I will sing your praise." And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, that's a lot of words, and you're probably thinking, what in the world does all that mean? Uh, let me tell you, the book of Hebrews, as I said before, is probably the most difficult book in the entire New Testament to understand, but one of the most profitable to work hard through. So what I'm going to do this morning, uh, after we pray, I'm going to try to just kind of bring a few simple, straightforward points out of this passage. And I think, and I pray, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by what is here. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we thank you that indeed you are God and have sent your Son. For a while, he was lower than the angels. He became one of us. And yet, because of all he has done for us in life and death, you have raised him, crowned him with glory and honor. He is our King. 
And so, Lord, today as we hear your word, would you speak to us and, and cause our hearts to submit to him, cause our hearts to see how beautiful he is to us and for us and what he has done to give to us what we cannot give ourselves. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the things that we, we hear maybe too often and we don't really take in is, is this. Christ came to, to this earth uh, to bless you, to give you a life that uh, is a life of flourishing. It is the life that your heart longs for, whether you understand that yet or not. Uh, it is a life that includes forgiveness of sins. Uh, Christ came so that you wouldn't have to carry a burden that is too heavy for you to carry. He wants you to give that to Him because He took your sins on the cross. He wants us to live a life in which we're able to put shame behind us. The shame that we bring upon ourselves and the shame that other people bring upon us. He came to give us enough wisdom to navigate even the most difficult circumstances in life. And he came, according to verses 14 and 15, to deliver you from the slavery that comes with when we fear death. You know, I don't know if there's a greater fear, especially for those who don't know Christ as Savior, than, than the fear of death. Uh, for many years, I have not thought about this. In fact, until this past week, putting together this message, I had forgotten that in the third grade, we took a little survey at school, and the only question I remember in that survey was this, what are you most afraid of? And my answer was immediate, and one word, death. Third grade, and afraid of death. Now, I don't know why, have no idea of the circumstances, but I was afraid of death. And then, as I've shared with you before, the minute I came to know Christ as a freshman at Clemson, that fear of death just vanished. And, and I've told you this a hundred times, forgive me, but it, putting these two things together this past week just made me rejoice in what the Lord has done for me in many things. But I hadn't thought about this. I mean, I, I remember coming to know Christ one afternoon at Clemson, and then after I had committed my life to Christ, running back to, back to Johnstone Hall, where I lived, probably at that time, the worst college dorm in all history of college dorms. But I, I remember running back to Johnstone, and there's a road between where I was and Johnstone Hall. And I literally, when I ran across that road, did not look left or right. And my thinking was, well, if a car hits me and I die, I'm going to heaven. What could be better than that? And, and, and so what I'm saying is I bring that back up again to say this. Somehow, immediately for me, when I came to know Jesus Christ, the fear of death was gone. And, and to be honest with you, I haven't thought about it since then. In fact, the more I have looked into what the Scripture says about what awaits us, I, you know, the more I look forward to what is to come. And I really mean that. I really mean that. Uh, what is to come is fantastic. So, Christ came to give us a life that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. Now, by the way, just for you who are thinking about running across the road at the end of the sermon and not looking left or right, that was stupid. That, that, yeah, that was not wise. Uh, and I don't do that. Now, every time I look across to the left and to the right, sometimes to the left and to the right again. 
But look, the the point I'm trying to make is this. The life Jesus wants for you is so much better than anything the world can offer you. But you can easily miss that life. And and quite frankly, most people do. And, And so that's why the writer to the Hebrews draws our attention again and again to the heart of the message of Scripture, which is Jesus Christ. This book is all focused on Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And as we see here, the writer doesn't just tell us to pay attention to this message. He doesn't just tell us to pay much attention or close attention. He doesn't just tell us to pay closer attention. He tells us to pay much closer attention. Otherwise, we will drift away. Your heart, my heart, no matter how many years we have been walking with Jesus Christ, we are prone to wander. We sing it. We talked about this last week, but it's something we have to be uh, aware of uh, because if we're not aware of it, we will not do what is required to, to stay with our Savior. Left to ourselves, our hearts are going to drift away from God. It's just that uh, we see it, don't we, when we get careless with the Lord. It, it happens. So, I mean, think about it. In this world, there are so many things that can distract us from the heart of God's Word, which is Jesus Christ, the busyness of life. Life is, quite frankly, so much busier for us than some generations before. How about the constant barrage of so-called breaking news? You know, all news is now breaking because they're running the same thing about 20 times a day since it's 24-hour news. Well, most of it is not breaking, but we're told that it's breaking, which means we've got to look because we're going to miss out on something. Or how about the constant alerts on our phones that demand we pay attention to our social media? Or it might be the games we play on our phone. I mean, if Wordle came out more than once a day, it might be really addicting. Distractions can cause us to drift if we're not focused, if we don't be kind of ruthless about the things that that we do, the time that we spend. Uh, But sometimes it's much more serious matters that cause us to drift. So suffering is one that has derailed the faith of many. In fact, if you go back and you look at um, when we lived in Britain, I I read a lot about the history of Britain. And when you look at the the history of Christianity in in Great Britain, you will see that World War I, then World War II, back-to-back, derailed the faith of most of the people in Great Britain. Sometimes it is opposition, serious opposition perhaps, to us making a stand for Jesus Christ. And we just feel like, well, is it really worth it? Well, of course it is, but sometimes in the moment we don't feel like it is. And then there is also the holding on to sin. Maybe it's a pet sin. Maybe it's something that we've become really friends with, so to speak, and we can't even imagine giving it up. All of those things can draw us away from God. And so, again, that's why we read these words. Therefore, all of us must pay much closer attention to Jesus. He is the very heart of God's Word. He is the message. He is the one who really does want the really good life for you. And so what I want to do, as I said a moment ago, I want to be very simple, very straightforward, but give you three pictures of Jesus this morning that show you just how beautiful our Savior is and and give you a hint, at least, of what He has done to give you the kind of life that He wants for you, the kind of life that 
whether we know it or not, it is what we long for. It is what we were created for, and it is what gives wholeness to our life. The world promises the good life, but Jesus delivers it. And so what I want to do then is to show you three pictures. First of all, Jesus is the king who gets involved with us. We see that in verse 9. Jesus is the king who gets involved with us. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. A year ago on the news, and I would imagine most of you saw this, a very disturbing video of a woman, 65 years old, Filipino, walking on a very busy street in Manhattan in broad daylight. All of a sudden, a a large man comes out of nowhere, shouts at her and says, you don't belong here, and then kicks her to the ground and begins stomping on her. And, and, And what makes this video even more disturbing than seeing some of that is the fact that the people who are around who, again, are outside and near to this woman don't help. They stand on the sidelines, including the very busy luxury apartment that is right there just off the sidewalk where all of this is taking place. Even the doormen, two doormen who are there watching all of this take place don't run out to help her. They don't lift a finger to do anything for her. Instead, they close the doors of the apartment to protect themselves. Now, these two doormen were later fired, and uh, this 65-year-old woman, who, by the way, was walking to church when she got attacked, um, she survived, and she has largely recovered from very serious injuries. But even after the man fled, it took a full minute for anybody to go to where this woman was lying on the ground bleeding. People were unwilling to put themselves in harm's way. They were unwilling to lift a a finger to come to her rescue. No one really wanted to get involved. There was one exception. But for the most part, people were just not willing to do anything at all. Now, I want you to compare that to Jesus Christ. This Jesus who was made man, this Jesus who for a while was made a little lower than the angels, Uh, this Jesus who endured death. It is this Jesus who has been raised to the highest place possible and crowned with glory and honor. He is king over all the earth and over all creation. But he was raised to the place of honor because he looked on us in our helplessness and he refused to to stand on the sidelines. He came and got involved for our sake. And Jesus didn't just risk risk his life for you. He, He gave his life for you. Jesus is the king who got involved. He saw us helpless and needy, harassed and without a shepherd, and he became our shepherd in life and in death. Second, Jesus is the brother who is not ashamed of us. 
In verse 11, we're told that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And the reason is uh, given in that same verse. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. In other words, Jesus and all who follow Jesus in life are children of the same Father, our Heavenly Father. We all belong in His family. We are part of the same family. Now, all of us have done stuff that we're ashamed of. Sometimes it's the sin that we go back and, and remember and we think, how could I have possibly done something like that? Uh, sometimes it's not sin so much as just dumb things we've done or said that make, made us look foolish. And uh, uh, I will tell you, for me, it's a bit of both. It, there, there are times when I remember when perhaps God calls to mind um, something in the past that I had done, um, and I immediately feel shame. Uh, sometimes it is the dumb things I have said, dumb things that have come out of my mouth. And, uh, and, and sadly, on occasion, by God's grace, not very often, but sometimes it's happened during sermons. I, can, I'm, I hate to even think about this because uh, now you're not embarrassing yourself with one person. You're embarrassing yourself with a thousand people. And so for me, when, when I remember those things, I mean, I'll tell you how bad one thing was um, for those of you who weren't here and you won't know this, but uh, one Sunday, and I won't tell you the details because it makes me sick to my stomach to think about it, but um, nothing simple, nothing wrong was said, but it just wasn't the right time for that message. Uh, not, probably several months later, I got together with uh, uh, the pastor of First Baptist. We just had lunch together, and he brought it up. <laughs> he had heard. So I think back to those things and I think, oh my gosh, Father, how, how could I have been so stupid at times? And you know what, though, as I was looking at this um, again this week, these, these words that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brother or sister, of course, came to me in a, in a, in a real way. Um, because now, uh, when I feel that shame for something in the past, or maybe something <laughs> in the very recent past, what I'm going to do, and I've started doing this already, I, I'm going to turn to Christ and hear from His Word, hear Him say to me, I know what you said, I heard every bit of it, and I am not ashamed to call you my brother. That's the heart of Jesus for His brothers and His sisters. If you are in a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you are part of his family. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. You know, that thing that you never told anyone about, Jesus knows all about it, and he is not ashamed of you. That thing that was done to you by someone who should have been protecting you, Jesus knows all about it, and he is not ashamed of you. That sin that still has a terrible hold on your life, Jesus knows all about it, and he is not ashamed of you. Those thoughts that would bring you such shame, you know, I remember Francis Schaeffer one time saying to someone, what if, um, what if in front of a large crowd like this, we were to put all of the thoughts you have had during the last week on a screen, how would you feel? I don't think any one of us would want to do that or go there. 
But Jesus says, I know every single thought you have ever had. I know every single thought you will have. And I am not ashamed of you. And for those who have wrestled with some form of addiction, which at some level we all are prone to addiction, that thing you have promised over and over again never to do but have done again, well, Jesus knows all about it. And he is not ashamed of you. On the cross, Jesus said, look to me and live, no matter what others think of you. Uh, Listen to this. This is important. No matter what others think of you, no matter what you think of yourself, Jesus says, I am not ashamed of you. That's what I think of you. And, And believe me, this is an aside, but this is so important. You know, sometimes in kind of pop psychology, perhaps, we're told that it doesn't matter what other people think of you, it's what you think of yourself. Well, that's not always that helpful. What really matters is what does Christ think of you? And because of the cross, he thinks great thoughts about you. On the cross, Jesus said, look to me and live. No matter what others think of you, no matter what you think of yourself, I am not ashamed of you. You are part of my family. And, and I took your shame upon myself on that cross and died with it so that you could live without it. Jesus does not want you to live with shame. He took it for you. And he does not look at you in shame. So lift your eyes and see your Savior. And let him take care of your shame. You are not equipped to do so. Finally, third, Jesus is the priest who helps us. And we see that in verses 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, in verse 10, one of the, one of the things that kind of stumps people at times or makes people pause is verse 10, where we're told that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Now, when we think of being made perfect, uh, we think typically of uh, being without sin. Well, Jesus has never sinned and never will sin. This perfection has nothing to do with his moral perfection and everything to do with his perfecting or becoming by experience more equipped to understand what you go through in life. He has become, through what he has suffered, Someone who is able to be very sympathetic with each one of us. And that's why he's able to help us. Jesus has experienced everything we have experienced. He has been through every single thing we have been through in terms of of pain and, and suffering. And that's why he is able to help us go through everything we must go through in this broken world. And so if you've ever felt lonely or abandoned, and all of us have felt lonely, whether single or married, we're all at times lonely. And quite frankly, all of us probably have been abandoned by someone at some time. Well, if that's your case, Jesus does understand that. He he completely understands that because he is the man of sorrows, rejected and put to death by his own people. There's never been any 
rejection greater than that, any sense of loneliness greater than that, because even uh, on the cross, even his own father turned his back on Jesus the Son. If you've ever felt the grief of losing someone you love, Jesus gets it. He wept at the grave of Lazarus, who was his dear friend. If you've ever been lied about, Jesus understands that. He was betrayed by a very close friend. I mean, Jesus loved Judas. He was also falsely accused by the priests and ridiculed by the soldiers. If you've ever had money problems, Jesus gets that too. He was poor and had nowhere to lay his head. If you've ever felt understood or misunderstood by a family member, Jesus gets that too. His own family thought he had lost his mind at one point. And if you've ever felt highly stressed, Jesus gets that as well. He was so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that his sweat was like drops of blood. Mike Kruger puts it really well. No one could ever go to Jesus and say, you don't understand my life. You cannot go to Christ and say, uh, you don't understand my life. It's we who cannot understand how much he suffered in his life. But he did willingly suffer so that he could become a high priest, the high priest who truly does get us. Jesus is the king who saw that we were in trouble and refused to stand on the sidelines. He got involved to save our lives. He is the brother who is not ashamed of us no matter what. And he is the priest who understands everything we have been through so well, in fact, that he knows exactly what to do to help us. Why in the world would we ever turn our back on him and drift away towards something else? Nothing will give you what Jesus will give you. But we will drift away if we don't pay attention. I want to finish with this, but in doing so, I want to circle back to Wade and his travel. I I told you that it was not a badge of honor. It meant that he traveled all the time, and he had a young family. And uh, uh, one night when he was home, one of the few nights in a particular season when he was home and eating dinner with his family, his then four-year-old daughter, Abigail, just very innocently said, Dad, I like it when you get to eat dinner with us. Well, those words pierced his heart. And uh, I'm telling you, it got Wade's attention. Not much later, he changed jobs so that he could be home for dinner a lot. Just a few words But those few words spoken by his four-year-old daughter really did get his attention. Jesus has spoken to us in his word. These are his words. Through the Holy Spirit, every single word that we have in God's word was superintended in such a way that even though human authors have given this to us, it is ultimately written by God himself. And we have got to pay attention. Jesus has spoken to us, and I'm going to tell you, it's an invitation to dinner. He really likes it when we get to sit down with him and enjoy a meal together. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now that 
verse was especially meant for those who are distant, those who have known Christ or known a lot about Christ but have become distant to God. But it, it includes in a general way those who have never known Christ at all. And so I'm going to say to you today, I don't know where all of you stand. I certainly know many of you and know where many of you stand with the Lord. Uh, but if you've never known Jesus, I mean, maybe for you, you feel like you are not good enough. Maybe you feel like you are uh, um, just a mess, that you're too messed up for the Savior. Uh, well, let me say this. Jesus loves to take a mess and make something beautiful of it. He loves to do that. It's part of his job description. Invite Jesus in for dinner. He is waiting for you at the door. He longs to share a meal with you. If you've known Jesus for many years but become distant with him, if he feels like he's out there but not close to you, if you become cold perhaps in your relationship with him, it is time to open the door again and, and sit down with your Savior for a meal. Open the Word of God and, and hear his heart for you. And here's what you will hear. You will hear... God the King who got involved with us in order to save us and now pleading in a very tender way for you to come and to share a meal with him. And let me say to those of you who are close to Christ right now, you feel like you're doing really well. I praise God for that. But let me just say, don't settle for the status quo. There are always, always, always opportunities to grow deeper with Jesus Christ. I, I remember learning this from Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan in the United States, who said, even in heaven, even in eternity, we will always be growing in our understanding of Jesus Christ because he is infinite. There will always, always, always be more to know about Jesus Christ. So take another step forward with your Savior, whatever that looks like for you. All of us, no matter what our relationship with Jesus, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I'll close with this. You need Jesus to be the most important person in your life. And if Jesus is going to be the most important person in your life, the Bible must be the most important book in your life. There's no way around it. Because this book is his letter to his children. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you that you have sent 2,000 years ago the word, Jesus Christ, to show us who you are, what you are like, and what you want for us. And Father, I do pray, especially for those today who have grown cold with Christ, I pray that you would do something in their hearts to give them the desire and the discipline to take another step with you, to, to draw back near to you. We're, we're told that if we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Uh, may they step out on that promise and do so, and may you fill their heart. Even if it takes time, would you fill their heart with the joy of knowing you? And, and Lord, uh, for those who have never met you, Oh, God, give them eyes to see what awaits them when they begin to walk with Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.